Let's pray together. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our maker. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Most holy God and Father, it's our desire to come before you in humility and reverence, but with a confidence that comes only from the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess that we are a sinful people that have no right in and of ourselves to come before your throne, but we do so by his blood. We are justified and forgiven, and we possess a righteousness that is not our own, but his. God, you created us, and as your creatures, we owe you our obedience. It is your divine right to demand that we be holy, even as you are holy. And yet we cannot help ourselves. Our sinful nature makes us all lawbreakers in your sight. We have, we have all sinned this past week, and yes, even since this morning, when we have done those actions that you prohibit, or when we fail to do that which you have commanded. From the same mouths that praise you, we sin with our speech. We grumble and complain and speak ill of others while we build ourselves up. We are so far from your standard of holiness and we acknowledge that even if we live perfectly obedient lives, we have only done our duty to you and can do nothing that puts an obligation on you. Forgive us, Lord, when we sinfully think that you owe us anything. In your kindness and faithfulness, you have given us everything for life and godliness, far beyond what we can ask for or imagine. We can never thank you enough for your grace. And so we look forward to having an eternity of giving voice to our gratitude and singing your praise. Thank you, Lord, for our church family. And we ask that you continue to build us up individually and as a body by your manifold means of grace. As we continue to meet before you, use our gatherings to grow us in our love for you and our knowledge of what pleases mm -hmm. you. And by your spirit, give us the grace to live accordingly. Strengthen us that we might not grow weary in meeting and encouraging one another as the day of your return draws near. And this morning, we pray for the marriages in our church. We ask that you give husbands and wives the grace to be patient with each other, forgive each other, and to love each other with a love that is willing to lay down lives in service of and sacrifice for each other as a display of the gospel and to your glory. Sustain these marriages, O Lord, that they would reflect your faithfulness and be clear pictures of your goodness. Lord, your word says that you formed your church that through her your manifold wisdom might be made known to rulers and authorities. And so we pray for the efforts of your people here and abroad to plant churches as visible and tangible manifestations of your glory. We ask that you look upon them with favor and that you would cause their label to bear eternal fruit, not for any man's glory, but that your name be glorified among people who will come to know you through your visible body on earth. <coughs> And as we consider your church throughout the world, we ask for your sustaining grace on hearts and hands for Haiti and the work that they do among the pastors of that nation and among the children that you have sovereignly brought to their school. We ask that you continue to strengthen Stan and Patty as they faithfully lead the ministry. And we ask that you uh, be merciful to that nation as they continue to undergo much domestic turmoil and instability. We pray for the children in the training and nutrition center that you would open their eyes to the beauty of the gospel, and that you, O oh Lord, will continue to protect and provide for them when they leave the school. We pray for the local pastors, those whom you have called out of darkness to shepherd your flock. In the midst of hardship, remind them and the people you have put under their care of the hope that they have in Christ. Finally, Lord, we pray for your blessing on your servant, Tom, as he speaks to us from your word, Holy Spirit, we ask that you give him clarity of thought and speech, but also give us ears to listen well, that our souls might be stirred and renewed. And as your word exhorts us to consider the words that come out of our mouths, affect and sanctify the hearts from where those words come forth by the preaching of your word. And we ask these things in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <coughs>
The sermon text this morning is found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verses 18 through 21. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. I'm sure most of you remember that childhood nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but uh, names will never hurt me. You don't have to be an adult to know that's not really true. If you've ever experienced a really harsh word for some, from someone or gossip said about you, you know that, in fact, words really do matter. They really do wound and they can hurt. They can also give life and give hope, but words have great power. What we say what we say matters. Now, there is a certain irony here that the words are formed with our tongues, and, and yet our tongues are probably less than 1% of our body mass, and yet they can bring great devastation. In Proverbs 18.21, Solomon writes that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And it's true. If someone says to you, I hate you, that's a destructive sentence, it's a destructive sentence. It hurts. It tears down. But if someone says, I love you, well, then it builds up. It's a whole different thing. Do you understand the power of these words? You know, we're probably two to three years of age when you begin to learn how to speak, grammar, syntax, vocabulary. And yet, do we really know how to speak? Do we speak with wisdom? Do your words build people up or they tend to tear them down? I mean, the past two weeks, just take, or three weeks. I mean, have you, and, and particularly just not what you've said in conversation with people, uh, but even in terms of your social platform, what you've posted on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. You know, has there been anything that you've said that you wish, I wish I wouldn't have said it that way, or I, I wish I wouldn't have said that at all. Or, well, I really was kind of self-boasting when I said that, or, yeah, I did kind of shade the truth a little over here, or, yeah, I did kind of pay them some false flattery. I mean, over the past two to four weeks, has that happened? Or maybe on the other side, have you felt the sting of someone's words, someone's harsh words to you? Or maybe they lied about you or misrepresented you to someone else. It's a serious issue to try to learn how to speak with wisdom. This is why we're in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a unique book in the Bible. It's God giving wisdom to his people so that they can live in a way that they actually increase in holiness and joy. It's not a bunch of fun stuff that you can kind of get funny quotes out of or a couple good tips for life. Proverbs is trying to give you wisdom so that you become more like him. It, but it's practical. It's helpful. It's like theology and street clothes. It, it's kind of informing God's wisdom. Here's what God's wisdom looks in the mundane parts of your life, something that you just say. Now, we're choosing speech here because it's spoken of most in the Proverbs. It's more than sex or friendship or money or work. He speaks more about our words than anything else. Over 90 Proverbs. Now, is this important to you? Well, I hope so. On average, a human being opens their mouth 700 times a day to say something. So there is all kinds of opportunities to do it wrong. And so he's giving us wisdom so that we can speak in a way that would be edifying and not destroying. Last week, we looked at Proverbs 2. And in Proverbs 2, the idea was, Pursue the wisdom of God, and you will find a rich, full life. Now I want to make this week, speak with words of wisdom, and you'll give life. You'll be a life giver like, like God. So three things I want you to think about. First would be that words can tear down. Secondly, words build up, and words do reveal. And we'll look at each one of those buckets briefly, but words tear down, words build up, and words... Reveal. So these are three things. We want to avoid foolish words that tear down. right? We, we want to avoid those words that when we speak them, we bring people down. We destroy them. 
our words can decreate people. They can devolve the image of God. As we, you know, those things that we say that are unique or hurtful or, you know, kind of piercing the heart. We've got to recognize that words have power. So in Proverbs 16, and I'll be referencing these Proverbs throughout the book. So if I miss a verse or chapter, I'm happy to send you my notes so that you don't miss it. But in Proverbs 16, 27, he says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Have you not? It's so, it's a metaphor, clearly. Uh, but it's, it's reality. We felt the burn of someone's lies. Or we felt the burn of someone misrepresenting us. Or we felt the burn of someone's harsh criticism. And we've given it to. We've said those things. Out of the gate, we're frustrated. And we want to hurt. And so we want to burn their house down by the words that we say. So we've both kind of experienced it and we've offered it to others. And he's saying that we're called to avoid these foolish words. You've been given a gift to speak. Don't use it for such occasion. Now, do you understand the power of words? So James chapter 3 speaks about this idea that the tongue is like, it's like a fire, and it can set a forest ablaze. So let me draw you back to the history of the U.S. here. In 1871, the great Chicago fire, right? Legend has it that the cowl in O'Leary's barn kicks the lantern over. A third of the city was burned to the ground. 100,000 people made homeless. 300 people died, $200 million worth of damage in those valued dollars of the, uh, of the 19th century. That was destructive from one fire. The idea is that our words have power, and our foolish words have power to wound, to heal, to decreate. Let me give you some examples. These may not all apply to you. This is kind of a shotgun approach. So I'll give you a bunch of them and see which ones may land. First, throughout the book of Proverbs, we're encouraged to not lie or half-truths or deceive or slander. What I mean by that is you're passing along information about a situation or person that's just not true. It's unverified. It's usually derogatory. It can be twisting words that a person has said. It, it can be misrepresenting a person's position and they're not there to defend it. It can be exaggerating so much that it's really distorted it from uh, what it actually was. Now, we're lied to all the time. Oh, we're lied to by politicians. We're lied to advertisers. We lie. On average, a United States citizen lies three to six times a day. And more than half of those have the intent to deceive or to change an opinion or to change a perspective to something that's false. That's all of us. You know, when you kind of shade it or, you, or maybe you drop part of a story that makes you look a little worse, you know, that's playing fast and loose with truth. That's, that's foolish. It, it will crush the depth of relationships that we need. But not just lying. Another one would simply be reckless speech, right? Those things that you say quick. Someone, someone really irritates you and you respond back in kind. It's called rash speech. Uh, Jesus calls it careless speech. Some others call it lazy speech. You, know, you don't even think. It's coming out of your mouth before you're thinking about how it's going to land. In fact, in Proverbs it says in um, 12.18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You know, just the thrust of a sword. That rash word. So Twitter is a good platform for this. You know, this back and forth where you see even between the conservative and progressive aspects of culture, it's only 280 characters at most, so you can't create a context in which really to explain your argument. But it's this back and forth, and all it does is increase the temperature of people's hatred or disgust or you know, disappointment with one another. So these rash words, but not just rash words, also flattery, false flattery. You know, what flattery is, is you're telling things to people that they want to hear rather than telling them things that they need to hear. Uh, flattery always has an ulterior motive to it. it. You're trying to secure favor by, by saying something that you think they want to hear. Proverbs says it's like you're spreading a net because you're not forming a healthy relationship. It's based on an illusion. Those times that we just say something nice to get something back. It's foolish speech. Relationships won't be cultivated. Not just flatter, but gossip. And gossip is when you make something that is private and you make it public. 
It's when you speak of another person without them being present to verify or to, to speak to the issue itself. You know, gossip tastes really nicely. It's fun to have information about someone that they don't know. And that's why in 18.8, he says, the words of a whisperer are like choice morsels that go down to a man's inward parts. This idea of sharing about other people in a way that usually is not building up the other person in the mind of the listener, but tearing them down. And, and then last, not just gossip, but being boastful. You know, that's another um, kind of speech that Proverbs addresses. That is, when you're talking about your own achievements, you're kind of moving the conversation so that you can talk about whether your accomplishments in business or at home or the children. In other words, it, it's kind of akin to conversational narcissism. It, it's taking whatever's being said and kind of driving it to something that I've done. People that are boastful rarely ask questions of anybody else. They're busy thinking how they can speak about themselves. And Proverbs speaks to this. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a, a stranger and not your own lips. So all of these, and there's other forms of foolish speech that are destructive to who we are as people. Now, you may be saying, you're making too big a deal out of this. What's the big deal? A little, <clears throat> a little white lie. I told a little funny joke at someone else's expense. And, we kinda, and I've done that before. I, I've passed it off and said, hey, it's past the bar of my justice. I think it's fine. But I just want to remind you that there are certain costs when we travel in this kind of language. I'm speaking about costs to our relationships as a church and as friends. Uh, first, it brings disharmony into a relationship. And I think most of you know this. You know, think past on friendships that have been weakened or disordered because of something you had to get off your chest. You just had to say what needed to be said. But it really rocked the other person. It hurt them. It, it caused the relationship to suffer. This idea of, I, I've just got to set them straight. And relationships can be harmed. Long-term relationships can be harmed by our harsh words. But not just kind of bringing disharmony into our friendships. It brings disorder into our community. I mean, you think about it. If we travel, this is just conditional, right? If we travel in this kind of false speech, it's going to leave us with this air of suspicion. Can I trust this person? If I really do share my heart on this issue, will it be taken and repackaged and sent out to other people? And it leaves us all very defensive, walls are up, and this call for gospel unity and transparency will be lost because I don't know if what I say is not going to find its way to a lot of other ears that don't need to hear it. So, so it, there's a corporate ruining of community. And we see this in Proverbs 11.11, 11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. By the mouth of the wicked, the city is overthrown. So you see, what we say has a corporate effect. It kind of creates that suspicious. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, well, I'd like to share this, but if I shared this, I don't think people would accept me. It, that's, that's tough to hear because we, we all need the grace of God to us in Christ. I mean, not, the ground under the cross you've often heard is level, and w we want to have an ability to be transparent about our brokenness because we have the hope of the gospel that God does forgive, he does redeem. I don't care what one has done, he does redeem and restore and reconcile. We want to be open with God. We want to be able to be transparent with one another. But, but this kind of foolish language divides community. <clears throat> it also ruins reputations. Uh, you, you know how when we say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? They did such and such. Now, we share the story, and, and it's not verified. There's no you know, corroborating data being given. We just share it, and we buy it. The person's not there to say, oh, hold the phone, hold the phone. And then the person hears it, and they think, well, they did this, and they did that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, a profile's made, boom, they're guilty. It, it, reputations take years to build, and they can be destroyed just one swing of a ball, like a building. So, so you see the destructive, but not just reputations. 
it also diminishes our own worship. In other words, when we travel and speak kind of in unregulated fashion, I'm not talking about the one blast off that you do, but in unregulated fashion, walking in this foolish language, our own worship is going to be impacted, our understanding of God. In fact, Levy referenced it in his prayer in James 3. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives? A grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. How can the same mouth curse and bless? In other words, again, I'm speaking about not how did you do last week, but look over a longer period of time. Can we curse others with foolish speech, harsh language, lies, deceit? So can we do that and then come in here and think that worship is going to be vital and informed and exciting? It'll be a problem. Now, I, I raise these with you because the Proverbs are very, they're keen on opening before us. This is foolish language. You know, Satan was the first liar. He's the father of lies. And to walk in foolishness produces division, discord, disharmony, disunity. That's all darkness. You know, the Proverbs encourage us to pursue words that build up. So this is kind of the second bucket, words build up. We want to pursue words that build up. Now, you think about it for a minute, and because you've never known a time where you couldn't speak, you may actually underappreciate the gift of speech. You look at the animal kingdom, they can communicate, no doubt. But their communication is far different than ours. And we have the ability to build people up, to heal with our words, to give hope, to teach, to instruct, to love with our words. We also have the ability to tear down and destroy. But we have great capacity to engender life. We have this gift from God. God is a God who speaks. And when he speaks, he creates. He gives hope. He sustains. He comforts. He corrects. He challenges. God does a work through his words. We as image bearers are called to do a work with our words. You have the capacity to speak as a gift of God to be used in line with the purposes of God, which is to give life, to give hope to people, to give strength to them, to build up. So let me give you some ways that Proverbs encourages us to speak well, to speak with wisdom. So one way is, of course, simple. We learn it as kids. Just say the truth. Now, obviously, we've got to you know, say the truth in love, because sometimes the truth is confrontational. But we do want to be honest about our speech. Proverbs 25 says that an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It's a beautiful thing to know when you speak to somebody, you can trust them. They're going to tell you what they're thinking. They're not going to kind of talk in shadows. They're not going to have something behind the curtain for you. They just Their yeses are yes, and their noes are no. They're straight up with you. Maybe sometimes they need a little bit of nuance. Uh, but at least they're honest with you. You can trust them. You can be in a relationship. Because when they speak, they're going to walk with integrity. It's integrity in speech. So that's a way of not shielding and hiding from things. Now, I know that there are times and points of disclosure that need to be considered. But as a general rule, honesty in speech always yields to stronger relationships. But not just honesty in speech. Restraint in speech. Limiting your words, you know, not over-talking something. You know, the more that you prattle on, the higher probability that you have to say something to dig a hole too deep to climb out of. Now, I, I'm especially sensitive to this because Carol would usually say to me, less is more. And she's not saying that the way I eat at the table, but the way I communicate. She goes, you know, if you say the same thing four times, it doesn't make it any truer on the second, third, and fourth time. It's just as true. It was good wisdom for me uh, to say more with less. Consider economy of words. I needed that encouragement. And the Proverbs speak to this. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. There's a place for restraint. You know, to kind of to kind of see what's going on, what needs to be said. Maybe fewer words are better. You know the old adage, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and speak and remove all doubt. So it's better to be silent sometimes. 
wisdom to know when to do that. But not just to be honest. Wisdom in words is to be honest, is to be limited. It's also to be tempered. It's to be gentle. It's to be soft in it. You know, when, when a conversation begins to escalate and someone can move into a position of tempering their words and speaking with a gentleness, it de-escalates the heat of the conversation. That's why a gentle answer turns away wrath, Solomon says. He also says, a soft tongue can break a bone. In other words, instead of meeting fire with fire, or instead of both kind of ratcheting up the conversation like rungs on a ladder, if someone just begins to speak in a measure that's more tempered, it's amazing how you can be heard differently, and you might hear them differently as well. So tempered speech. Uh, but also I would say that words that are timed or apt for a situation. There is wisdom when we speak in kind of reading the room. Is it right to say this now? Is it right to say this to this person? In other words, there are many truthful things that may need to be said, but not right now. Is the listener in a position to hear it? Uh, again, a lot of times I think we feel like we've got to set the record straight and we've got to clear the air and we come in kind of like a bulldozer. And yet Proverbs would encourage us to weigh our answers and to consider, is this the best time? In fact, he says it this way, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. An apt answer is joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. This takes really self-control because before I speak, I have to see my listener, what are their needs, and will this help them? Will this be of aid to them? That may stop me from saying something, or it may move me to say something. But we want to take the listener's needs over our own in terms of our speech. Now, this doesn't mean you don't bring a hard word to somebody at points. But we want to make sure if we have to bring a hard word that it's in the right context, in the right way, serving the needs of the person. This is amazingly difficult because speech is so easy for us that to stop and to consider their needs is, is really difficult. And then last, another way of being wise in our speech is that we seek the spiritual good of others. You know, your beliefs and convictions are formed by what you hear other people say. And so we want to be a people who help form belief and convictions in people by how we encourage them towards their spiritual good, how we speak about the things of God, how we encourage others to love God more. You know, our words are meant to cultivate in people a greater understanding of God and a greater love for God. Again, we see this in the Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. If you think about this, now if we're humble enough to recognize that we don't know everything we need to know, if we're able to say that, then, then listen, it says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. A fountain of life, you go to it to live. And, and it, it helps you avoid the snares of death. So when we're speaking, I'm thinking, what is what would be like a drink from the fountain of life for you? And what do you need to hear to help you avoid the snares of death? Your spiritual good is right here. And it should be in all of our minds. He says it this way in Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. How well have you fed others with your words? Have they been empty, chatter, meaningless? Or has it been meat and potatoes to strengthen and serve them? See, you can imagine if a church, and many of us have had bad experiences with church and church gossips. There's a great, the um, Norman Rock, Rockwell has a painting called The Gossips. Got to Google it. It is a riot. He actually used members of his Vermont town which the first lady did not appreciate that at all. Painting just sold for $8.45 but but it has these two 
two people, sets of twos across, I don't know how many, there must have been 18 of them, uh, but they're all talking to each other. They can be on the phone, they can be writing letters, they can be jawing at each other, but they're all passing along information to each other. And um, I don't even know why I'm telling you that, but it was really good. <laughs> but think about it, if we have a community that doesn't do that, that's why I'm back on track, if we have a community that doesn't practice in the foolish speech, then you have greater unity. You have greater vulnerability. You can be transparent with one another. You don't have to worry about what you say. You can even misspeak and know that there'll be grace for you. I mean, that kind of community is a safe community. Not one where you're always on your pins about, did I say the wrong thing at the, right to at the wrong time to the wrong people? If you think you struggle in this, ask someone. I mean, just do you hear me speaking in a way that is more on the side of wisdom in speech or foolishness in speech? I mean, your friendships will, will profit by it. Your friendships will be deeper. They'll be more profound. They'll be more helpful to you when you walk away from the foolish and you pursue the wise. Now, the third bucket I reminded you of is that words do reveal things. Now, I've been going through the sermon. I can imagine many of you are thinking, so-and-so needs to hear this, and they would really profit from this sermon. Uh, th the kicker on this sermon is that your words reveal more about you to you. Your words kind of reveal what you really think. We say what we think. Now, sometimes we can hold back, we can restrict ourselves, and we can kind of, because there may be too much embarrassment or too much cost if we say what we're really thinking. But over time, you will say what you think. And Proverbs, of course, addresses this. He says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. So do you hear what he's saying? The heart of the wise, the wise man or woman, their heart is going to make their speech judicious or righteous. So the heart is feeding the mouth which produces the words. So what you really believe and what you really think ultimately will be revealed by what you say. Now, Jesus said it in easier terms. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It just comes out. It may take a party. It may take a glass of wine. It may take a calm situation. You end up saying what you really think. The mouth speaks what's in the heart. Do you see the connection? And this connection is more than just revealing the inner man or the inner woman. It really does reveal your posture before God uh, by what you say. If you travel in lies and falsehoods and deceit and slander and false, that's going to reveal your heart. Or if you walk in honesty and truth and building up, that's going to reveal it. Now, this is the kicker here is that it really matters for eternal purposes. So Jesus himself says in Matthew 12, he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified or you'll be declared innocent before God. And by your words, you'll be condemned. So what he's saying here, I don't think your choice of words saves or doesn't save you. But by the accumulation of your words over your lifetime, it's going to present evidence which says, yes, they're rightly related to God. No, they're not. So your own words will stand up in this divine court and bring justification or condemnation. That's incredible. It doesn't, doesn't that kind of sober us up a little bit? So what do your words reveal about you and your own soul? Do you ever examine your words? Do you ever say, why did I say that? What was in me prompting me to say that? You know, the Proverbs give us instruction on how to speak. It doesn't give us any power to do it. It doesn't give us a key to change. It just reveals to us what we need. And I think we all need help in this, don't we? I mean, does anybody feel that they have... Because in James 3, it says, the tongue is untamable. So I, read, I came across this from Alexander White. You don't know him, probably. He's a Scottish minister of the 19th century. Very godly man. Really godly man. Great writer. It was a great pastor. And he says this towards the end of his life. He says, I've often had this remorse, and I'm quite sure many of you. There is no table that I sit at very long, 
that I do not more or less ruin conversations for myself or others. And then he moves to plural. He says, we either talk too much and thus weary and disgust people, or they weary and disgust us. We start ill-considered, unwise topics. We blurt out rude minds and rude words. We push aside our neighbor's opinion as if both he and his opinion are worthless. And we thrust forward our own as if wisdom would die with us. We don't have our neighbors, we don't put ourselves in our neighbor's place to consider them. We have no imagination in conversation, no humility, and no love. This is a pastor that's been in ministry for years, and he's just being gut-level honest. We struggle with words. So what do we do? What should we do? We're kind of all at the precipice right here, I think. Most of us are. If you're not, you've been sleeping. But we're all there. We're all convicted by it. So what do we do? Well, you could try harder, no doubt. You could just white-knuckle it and really say, this time I'm really going to do it. And I can just tell you, 60 years plus, it's a fool's errand. You won't tame the tongue. So what do we do? Well, we're in a bit of a corner. But, you know, it's a funny thing about the Bible. Every book of the Bible puts you in a corner. In a corner of, yep, that's true about me. Yep, that's true about me. I can't get out. Now, we saw in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you know, they, they ruined themselves right out of the gate. They got to start over. They ruined themselves again. Uh, they started over. They ruined themselves again, even with, with Abraham falling in faith. W we need help. So what God is doing in his kindness is he's showing us how much we need one to come to deliver. God is promoting. Remember, he promised that one would come from the woman, one would come from Abraham, one would come from David and deliver us. And we saw last week how this deliverer, Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, has come to help. That's why it's not surprising that the gospel writers said there was no deceit found in his mouth. There was no sin in his mouth. Where we have sinned over and over, repeatedly, with lies and slander and deceit, false compliment. He had no deceit. He had no false flattery. He had no reckless words. He had no gossip. He had no self-boasting. He was without sin in his mouth. And so we find in Christ this perfect substitute for us, that we who cannot not sin with our mouth, he has come to save us from the very sins of our mouth. Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book on words, and he said this. He says, the Lord Jesus came into the world to bear the judgment of God against the sin of our tongues. When he stood before the high priest in the judgment seat of Pontius Pilate, he accepted a sentence of guilt. But that was my guilt. He bore in his body on the tree the sins of my lips and my tongue. You need to come, conscience, of the sin on your lips and ask for mercy to be given to you a sinner. Think about it for a minute. Even if you're here and you're not a Christian, are, are you not at least convicted that you can't control your own tongue? You can't control your own words. What this reminds us is you can't do it on your own. God has built within your own inability and awareness that you need him, that you need to turn to him, to ask him to not just forgive the sins of your tongue, but the thoughts of your mind that are fueling your tongue. I mean, for the non-Christian here, consider that. Just take today or tomorrow and try to be perfect in your speech. And when you fail, I want you to remember that you'll fail and fail and fail. And God, in his mercy, will use our inabilities to show us his ability to change us. And I encourage you to appeal to God for that. For the Christian here, can this remind you of the grace of God in your life? You know, what I love about the Apostle Paul is he never seems to tire over rejoicing over God's saving purposes in his life. You know, many of us may be in the faith for 20 or 30 years, and we're just not as overwhelmed by the gospel anymore. That God would send a son who would come and dwell among us without sin in speech, to save all these sinners in speech, and to reconcile us to God through faith. And, and, and can we be overwhelmed because you're going to walk out of here within two hours, you're going to say something stupid. And, and you're going to think, 
But he died for that. He did. He died for that. And I'm thankful for him. So be overwhelmed with God. So we see this simple call as you read through the book of Proverbs. Avoid the foolish speech. It will decreate you and it will devolve the image of God and others. Seek by God's spirit to speak words that are good, that are life-giving. Do they give life to the listener? Do they honor God? And then just remind yourself, a quick read of the soul will come forth what comes out of your mouth. Now, I know that everybody's utilitarian in here, and we always want something practical to do. Otherwise, it's all heady. So let me give you some things to do. That makes, it makes me feel good. So number one, here's what I ask you to consider. Ask someone to help you. So ask someone to pray. And, and give them the freedom of coming to you and a word of correction if you do misspeak. Gently, in love, with kindness, but ask someone to pray for you. Carol weekly prays for me out of Psalm 141, set a guard over his mouth. Lord, be the doorkeeper of his lips. Can you imagine if she didn't pray that all the time? It could really be ugly, but she prays all the time. We, let's pray for each other in this. Ask somebody. And also recognize, walk away from it when you hear it. It takes two to kind of walk in foolish speech. If you walk away, it just stops. Spurgeon had a word for this. He said, be deaf, be blind, be dead to gossip, and it will grow disgusted with you and select a more sensitive victim. So walk away from it. Ask someone to pray, walk away from it. Secondly, listen to wise people. When you hear a wise person address a difficult issue, listen to their economy of words. Listen to how they address difficult topics. Watch their restraint in speech. Watch how they bring something good out of a difficult situation. Listen how they do it and learn. Proverbs instructs us, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And then third, think before we speak. I, this is the hardest thing. Think before you speak. Listen, if you've been given a gift of speech, you're accountable to God because it wasn't yours. You didn't develop it. You didn't make yourself speak. And so you're a steward of that gift. And you can bring harm or help. And so be a steward of that. Use it for the good of others. Think what would be good for them. You know, the, the righteous man proverb says, weighs his answers. Is this good for them to hear? Jonathan Edwards was a theologian back in the 18th century. And as a very young man, he wrote these 70 resolutions. Many of you have seen them. They're really quite incredible, actually. But the very last resolution he wrote was this. 70, he wrote it in December 19, 1722. He says, let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak. Let there be something good in everything I say. Let there be one piece of benevolence in it. Think before you speak. You may not have noticed this, but, you know, I switched to Gmail years back, and um, before, when you'd type it, you'd be storming mad, maybe, or you're going to fix somebody straight up, or whatever, you, you fire out an email, we know what emails feel like when they come, kind of, you know, from the end of a barrel, and, and you hit send, and it's gone, and there's nothing you can do, and it's like, oh, I just lit a fire that I've got to go put out, but then Google introduced this kind of 10-second delay, I think you can increase it to 30 seconds, I've increased mine, that far, but it pops up undo. So you can hit send and it comes up undo. And for full disclosure, I've hit undo a lot uh, because I've written something and maybe in a fit of rage or self-pity or something, I I'll write it down and then I hit send and I realize that's not good. And, and I'm looking for the undo and I hit undo and I'm thinking, oh, thank you, Lord. Well, I confess my sin that caused the writing of the email and then I thank the Lord for saving me the trauma that I would have created. But the undo, if we just think before we speak, I'd like an undo on my mouth sometimes, but, but if we think before we speak, we're going to walk with wisdom and helping people much, much more. And fourth, it's seek the Spirit. You need help. We need help. You know, interesting, in Proverbs, he says, the plans of the heart belong to men, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I want my answers to come from God. I, I ask for the Spirit to fill me that my mind would be 
saturated in the beauty of God, that my love for God's people would increase so that my communication would be reflective of that love. You pray the same thing. God, fill me with your spirit before writing an email, before giving a word, before encountering conversation. God, help me to speak in a way that it is as if it's the tongue of the Lord. And then last, I would simply say this, to repent and rejoice because you're going to do this. You're going to fail. You're going to sin. You're going to misspeak. You're going to kind of shade the truth when you're caught in a corner. You're going to do these things. And let's just be honest. The Christian life is a pilgrimage over time. Nobody's going to meet perfection with their tongue. When you fail, please don't deny it. Just repent. So I said something within the past couple of months to somebody. I knew as soon as it exited these two lips, it was a wrong thing to say. I said, I'm sorry. That was hurtful. I wasn't being considerate. Please forgive me. Right away, I repent. So, so there's no shame in repenting. It's a gift of God for us to continue in healthy relationships. So when you do misspeak, then just repent. Ask for both God's forgiveness and the one that you may have heard, and then rejoice that Christ died for that sin of that mouth. We don't want to drive ourselves in a hole of self-loathing because we can't control our tongue. We want the inability to drive us to his ability to save. And so repent, but rejoice. Rejoice in the gospel. It doesn't diminish the hurt you may have caused, but it helps you to rightly serve them and reconcile. So let's just take a moment now and just ask God. I would ask you to silently ask God to help you understand this in a way that would lead to happiness and joy and, and proper use of your tongue. And then I'll pray for us in just a moment. Father, I'm thankful that we can come to you as, as broken people. And our brokenness is, is no better on display than through what we say and don't say and how we say it. And so, Father, would you bring a spirit-wrought conviction, not, not condemnation. And Father, I would ask that people would not walk away guilty, but, but rightly uh, appreciating the difficulty of speaking as it reveals our own brokenness, and that we would turn to you for grace and forgiveness and aid, that we might grow in holiness in the way that we speak, that we might grow in concern for our neighbor, that we might use this incredible ability to communicate in a way that builds up and creates and helps and sustains and instructs. Father, only you can do this, and that's why we appeal to you. You've sent one who in whom was there no deceit in his mouth. So we thank you for the forgiveness offered through faith in Christ. But we ask you that we would grow by the power of your spirit, that we would grow in this, that our relationships would deepen, would develop, that they would support a vulnerability and transparency between us, that we might truly be a family that speaks well, building up one another only speaking that which is fit for the occasion, that it might bear grace to one another. And Lord, as we see it take place in our lives, we will give you the thanks for it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we sing.
Thanks be to God that he sent Christ to die for every careless word.